Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome. Yes, the couple hours, it, it is now apparently over. Eric, you were mentioning that Netflix was apparently down for a little bit of time this morning. I'm looking at the Netflix website and it says, we're sorry, some of our members were unable to use Netflix for a couple of hours today. The issue is fixed. Apologize for the inconvenience. And you had people just going bat crap crazy oh, because they, yes. <laughs> it, 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 it really does show how tied in we are. You know, if the power goes out for, I mean, that's what I, I always think about these folks in California that are now subject to these continuous blackouts. Right. I mean, we freak out. If Netflix is down um, at, at our house, okay, we, we have Spectrum Cable, mm-hmm. but we have two TVs that are on on the Roku sticks because there, there's one little one in our kitchen and one in an upstairs bedroom, and we don't have cable boxes okay. for sure. it, so so we just have the stick. And what you do is you can log into the, the Spectrum app, and so you can you can watch you know all the yeah. the things yeah. that are on the cable without actually having to have the box and every once in a while the app will go down and and, and so this is just like the spectrum cable is fine so we're not even out of the cable thing but you won't be able to you know log in to get the little tv in the kitchen and sometimes it's kind of like just so annoying you're sitting there you're trying it every 15 <laughs> minutes and it's like oh for yep, yep. the love of god okay it's just it's just down the app is down you know it's going to come back sometime soon but yeah this whole thing with netflix i guess people just going nuts it always makes the news when facebook is down it makes the news when twitter is down and now mm-hmm. netflix too so. now that having been said you know it's interesting because as i was telling you i i'm not a huge netflix user but every once in a while i get into these things and i'm in the process of binge watching the the old tv show the west wing and you you know i'll watch two later at night after my wife goes to bed i can you know they're without the commercials it's like 40 minutes and Mm -hmm. you can knock off two or three boom just you know really quickly so and it's actually it's a tribute to how good at least the first couple seasons of the west wing is that that somebody like me whose political views are completely opposite of of what they showed Mm -hmm. there still watch it and thinks it's it's kind of pretty good so i'm i'm midway through the third season but i'm i'm very glad i didn't try to log on to netflix (laughs) early this morning because i would have probably been been i would have been those ones screaming how could that work out yes but okay your your long national night where mary's over netflix (laughs) is Netflix is back. All right, during Eric's newscast, he, I, I will I will I will say this so you don't have to because I know that there were a lot of you probably screaming at the radio. Yes, earlier this morning, State Senator Alina Taylor was on our air doing an interview with Steve and she's running for mayor and and in my opinion, she's got no chance to be the next mayor. Just absolutely none. That's just, you know, and I'm not even sure she runs second because um, you've got Tony Zelinsky, who I, I think is probably more likely to be the runner up. But Tom Barrett's got 800000 bucks in his in his account. Um, that there's certainly issues you can hit him on. But I don't believe that I, I don't believe that. In Milwaukee, which is a city where we elect mayors and then elect them and elect them, the same person over and over again, I, I don't 
get the sense that there's this huge undercurrent of, you know, we're, we're going to move on from Tom Barrett. I, I don't. And so I, I just I, I don't think any of the challengers have much of a chance. That's my analysis. And none of the challengers have, you know, any money at all. I don't think that there's deep pocketed people who are somehow going to jump in and suddenly, you know, support them. And it, it the bottom line is I, I just I, I think everybody that's running against Barrett, and I give them credit for trying to voice their opinions, but to me it's kind of a fool's errand. They're Don Quixote, you know, tilting at the windmills. But, you know, during the newscast, I, I heard State Senator Taylor parrot this line that is going around the city of Milwaukee. I first heard it from one of the municipal judges who I, I think municipal judges aren't willing to own up to the fact that some of the problem with reckless driving is – is is because of them because you know we have this slap on the wrist sort of approach which has allowed people to drive over and over and over again without driver's licenses and people you know who end up getting caught driving in a reckless fashion well they're sent back out on the streets to continue to do it now i'm not saying that that's the only reason for this and obviously whenever you're talking about criminal behavior it's the criminals that that are responsible for it first and primarily but i I do think we've had this system in the city of milwaukee for years and years and it starts in the municipal court system where there has been an unwilling willingness to hold people accountable, which is why they continue to do things over and over again. So in an effort to shift blame, the current line is, well, the reason we have people who are engaging in reckless driving is because we went through a period of years where MPS didn't offer driver's ed. Now, MPS does, by the way, offer driver's ed now. But the idea is that, gee, you know, if you would have had driver's ed, you would have known not to pull up to an intersection, run a red light with children in the intersection, hit them and drive off. You, you know, if you had driver's ed, you would not have done that. And this is one of the most ridiculous blame shifting things that I have ever, ever heard. I'm not anti-driver's ed. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think people should learn how to drive. I think that's a good thing. And I think the idea of, you know, getting some sort of testing and getting some early education is absolutely great. But give me a break. You really mean to tell me the reason the 24-year-old kid who's been caught driving without a license 14 or 15 times drives through the intersection when the light is red, hits the two people, and then drives off? It's because they may or may not have gone to driver's ed. They may or may not have known that they're not supposed to drive 80 miles an hour on a sidewalk and run through a red light. Just give me a break. And it just drives me crazy that we have elected officials and appointed officials who are unwilling to hold people accountable. Let's understand what the problem is. The problem is we've got all these people out there who just don't give a rat's rump about anybody else. They just have the impulse control of fruit flies. They don't care if they hurt other people. They don't care if they kill other people. It's all about them. They think driving is a game. They think blowing through red lights is a game. They think stealing cars is a game. They think carjacking people is a game. And we allow them to get away with it over and over again. And the answer, driver's ed, give me a break. All right. Got a lot of ground to cover on today's program. Let us get started. I don't know how many of you have flown on a plane recently, but as I've said repeatedly, to the extent that there was any sort of glamour or cachet about flying on airplanes, that, that, that's gone. I mean, that, that's gone. 
airlines because of fuel costs and a desire to make money. What they've done is they've reduced the size of seats. You know, they pack us in like sardines. They cancel, they low, they reduce the number of flights they have because what they want to do is instead of, I don't know, instead of two flights that are 50% full, they want one flight that's 100% full, which is why, I mean, I can count on, uh, of the last 20 times I've been on an airplane, I can count on a couple fingers on one hand the number of flights that haven't been completely and totally full. That That's just the business model that the airline has, cramming more and more people into the planes and putting us in smaller and smaller spaces. All right. So here's the question, and this is, becomes the issue. Because the seats are getting smaller, and we Americans are are not, you repeatedly will have situations where somebody gets into that seat on the plane, and how can I put this delicately? They don't fit. They're too large for the seat. So let's say it's a situation where, you know, it's you and your spouse, and you're in the aisle seat, and she's in the middle seat, and then you have the, the guy or the gal who is is big, doesn't fit in the parameters of their seat. So they come in, they sit in that third seat, and next thing you know, they're halfway into the middle seat. And so as a result of this, they're uncomfortable, and you've got you know the other passengers that are uncomfortable as well. And this always leads to a battle. Now, Southwest, Southwest has changed their policy regarding this. What Southwest now says that they will do is that they will ask you if you're too big to fit in one seat. What they say, book a second seat under the same name, and they will work it out so that those two seats are next to each other. You will have to pay for both seats up front. But, but what they will do is they will give you a refund, you know, after, after the flight for the one seat. So what they're saying is if you don't fit in the one, we will allow you to have that second seat for free. That's our policy. Most other airlines do not do that. Most other airlines essentially say, we will try to accommodate you if you don't fit in a seat, but you know, you, you gotta fit. And if there's no other place to put you, we might ask you to leave the plane and we might book you on a later flight if you don't purchase two seats. Southwest will refund the cost of one seat to you. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should other airlines do this? Should airlines essentially offer you as much space as you need? If you don't fit in one seat, should it be their obligation to give you that second seat for free? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And my guess is, if you are a person of size, you can tell horror stories about this. And if you're somebody that's flown and been on a long flight next to somebody who doesn't fit into the seat, you probably have your own horror stories. Should airlines be required to give you a second seat for free? 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just to give you a little preview, I mean, if Southwest wants to do this, they have every right to do it. I don't think they have an obligation to. And actually, I think the obligation starts with the person who, if you don't fit in the one seat, well, you should have to pay for a second. 414-799-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two weeks from today, Thursday, December 5th, we would love to have you join us for our annual holiday radio show. Couple changes. This year, we are going to be at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. We, we, we listened to you and we understood that, you know, parking was kind of an issue. Some people would say, well, I, and we love Turner Hall doing the show there, but, you know, you, you had to pay to park. You had to find a parking lot. Sometimes the parking fees exceeded what it cost you to buy a ticket to get into the show. No more. The Italian Community Center, they have this giant parking lot that is free parking. It is right across the way, so no problem, ease of accessibility, and we're, we're having a lot of fun. Now, this year is a little bit different. The first two years we did um, adaptations of, of well-known Christmas classics. I mean, one year it was A Christmas Carol. The second year it was It's a Wonderful Life. Then the last two years we've done, like, our own new radio plays. This year's a little bit different. We're ringing in the holiday season with game shows and skits. It's going to be good. I, I just, I've seen the outline now. It's going to be fun, and we would love to have you be there. Now, here's the deal. You cannot buy tickets at the door. You have to buy them in advance, and the only way to do that is to go to our website, WT mj.com this event is, is historically sold out i have no reason to believe that it won't sell out this year and what inevitably happens is once it sells out i get all these emails from people saying jeff you've got all these other tickets can you help me out and my answer is no i really don't have all the, these other tickets so go to our website wtmj.com right now scroll down to the middle of the page you'll see something that says 2019 holiday christmas show Tickets are $25 a piece. Ticket sales help support CAPCO and our WTMJ Radio Kids to Kids Toy Drive. We would love, 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 love to see you there. So make sure you get your tickets. Go to the website. Order them today. Make sure you're not shut out. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by CAPCO Metal Stamping, Capri Senior Communities, the Bartolotta's Restaurants, VMP Healthcare, and Community Living in West Allis. And like I say, the show, two weeks from tonight at the Italian Community Center. Okay, we're talking about you know this new policy Southwest has implemented to deal with people who do not fit into your typical um, airline seat. What Southwest has decided to do is you can book at the time you're flying, you can book a second seat, pay for it up front, and then what they will do is after the flight, they will refund the cost of that seat to you. So, you know, you'll get two seats essentially for the price of one. They're the only airline that does this. All the other airlines take the position one way or the other that will try to accommodate you if we can. But if you don't fit into a seat and you don't buy a second seat, you're kind of on your own. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's an interesting uh, text from our friend Jeff. I think this will cause even more availability issues, especially when flights get canceled or overbook and cause trouble for people not horizontally challenged. If someone cannot stay out of the seat next to them, then they cannot move to a different seat with nobody next to them. Then they should be ejected. Um, all right. 
Another text, so excellent policy and great PR, which protects the space and the rights of all passengers and Southwest with the refund method, ensuring people don't scam and try to get two seats for the price of one if they don't try to try to need it. Well, see, this is the first question that I had with this, because I guarantee you that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to book the two seats, you know, and, and maybe maybe you're not morbidly obese, but maybe you just want that more space to be comfortable. So you're going to have people that are going to book it. They're going to pay the thing up front, and then they get on the plane, and they're going to say, okay, well, I, I want my two seats. This is my reserved sign, and here I'm going to sit there. You then raise the issue of Southwest has to say, well, no, you really aren't big enough to deserve the two seats because mark my words, I am certain, absolutely certain, that you're going to have people try to scam the system. And to the extent it hasn't happened, my guess is only because people don't know about this. But how many folks out there are now going to say, okay, I can get a free second seat. i got to pay for it up front, but then I'll get the refund. And wouldn't it be nicer to have, I don't know, that empty seat next to me? Because, you know, like I say, these seats are now small. I think Southwest is leaving themselves open for just, just a world of trouble with this. Now, they get to do it. No question about it. They get to take a chance. I just think that they're going to find that there's all sorts of problems with it as they move forward. But at least at this point in time, if you're concerned about that, if this is an issue, Southwest is the airline you want to fly because at least at the moment, Southwest is the one that says we'll give you the free second seat. It's not just bags that fly free, but it's big people get to have two seats, not one. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. That topless woman looks awfully familiar. As a matter of fact, that's no topless woman. That's my stepmom. Here's the story. Involves a woman named Tilly Buchanan. This is from this story's from Utah, but it's getting national attention. All right, Tilly Buchanan is, and I admit there, there's all sorts of elements of the story that are odd. But, but here, here goes. Tilly Buchanan is 27 years old. She is married. Um, her husband was married before and has three children, ages 12, let's see, a 13-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, and a 9-year-old boy. So the, these are her stepchildren. And my understanding is it's one of these deals where they're shared custody. So you've got, you know, the ex-wife. And then you've got the husband, and then you've got the new wife. So all this dynamic is going on. All right, now now here's where the story admittedly perhaps gets a little bit weird because, well, it's not something you see every day. Apparently what happens is Tilly, the, the stepmom, and her husband, the father of the children, they are they're working in their garage, you know, all all day. They're working with their garage, in their garage. They're wearing long-sleeve shirts and protective clothing. And that's the story. They apparently, because they'd been working there, and they were sweaty and itchy. So they stripped down to their underwear, leaving their dirty clothes near a doorway so they could take a shower. Now, apparently, Tilly, the stepmom, um, when she's wearing her underwear, she's got st- stuff on the bottom, but she's not when it wearing anything on top. So dad is in his boxers, stepmom is in her panties, and nothing else. And apparently they're, they're still tidying up in the garage. 
All right, so they they didn't just pile the clothes up there and run up to the shower. They're they're still like kind of tidying up um, there. At that point in time, the three stepkids, 13-year-old boy, 10-year-old girl, and 9-year-old boy, they come traipsing through the garage, and they see stepmom topless in, in the garage. Uh, stepmom says, look, this is, this is no big deal. You know, it, it's, it's no, nothing, to, you know, not, nothing to see here. <clears throat> no big deal. You know, dad's in his boxers, etc. All right, so they do this. Nobody thinks anything of it. What happens is step uh, the, the 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 kid's mom. Okay, so the ex-wife. Obviously, there's all sorts of issues going on. The kids apparently go over to you know mom's house and describe, hey, you know, we walked into the garage and there was dad and stepmom and stepmom had was topless. All right, mom freaks out, calls child protective services. And then complains that stepmom is exposing herself to the, these children. At which point in time, the authorities then involve, get involved. The police come. The police arrest her. She ends up getting charged with public nuisance, public nudity and lewdness and things like that. And, and the matter has been dragging through the court system for about like the eight, last eight months or so. Now it's starting to get a lot of attention because there's a lot of things going on. First of all, it's the stepmom, you know, and, and I, I don't know, you know, is this is this something wrong in general with stepmom deciding that she wants to go topless in front of the 9, 10, and 13-year-old? Okay, secondly, dad, dad has his shirt off, you know, when he's, you know, in the garage doing the same thing. Nobody's charging dad with public lewdness for taking his shirt off. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sometimes I, I tell you where I, I think the topic should go, but I am genuinely curious with this. All right, should stepmom, and, and this is her story, and, you know, in any criminal case, there's always kind of an argument about the facts, but I think the facts are pretty much undisputed here. They're working in the garage. They strip down because they're going to get rid of their clothes. The kids walk through the garage and see stepmom without her top on. She's now been charged with lewdness. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an overreach by, by the government? And my guess is, you know, this is an issue which perhaps comes, you know, from time to time, comes up when you have a situation where you do have the step-parents involved because who started this whole thing was the complaint by the ex-wife. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I do admit that this whole thing sounds, it's kind of a weird fact situation because I have cleaned many a garage in my life and I've never had the desire to strip into my underwear while I'm, I'm doing that, you know, and then stand in the garage. So it's an odd story, but the stepmom deserved to be charged. 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. Back with your thoughts in just a minute. Is this just kind of an inter-family sort of thing, or did mom, stepmom really do something wrong? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> My favorite text of the day so far, Jeff, let's be real. They weren't working in the garage. <laughs> Whatever do you mean? I, I I don't know. 
I mean, that that's the story. But, you know, mom and dad are in their panties and boxers. The kids walk in, kind of catch them. Not, I don't, I mean, their, their story is that they were working, they were hot and sweaty, etc. Um, let's see, Jeff, is their private property garage now public property? What if they'd walked into the bedroom and found her there in her undies? I think that this is ridiculous. Um, Jeff, having friends that have kids and have gone through a divorce and remarried, it sounds like a vindictive ex-wife. I was, when I was looking at this story, wondering, you know, okay, where does this come from? You know, and how, how do the cops get involved and how do child protective services and things like that get involved? And then you see, all right, it, it's the ex-wife who heard about this and she calls child protective services and they call the police and then you're off to the races. All right, here's the deal. Assuming the facts are as, as they are. I, I think I agree with one of our last texters, the one who says this sounds more like a family matter and, you know, issues between, I don't know, the, the ex-wife and the ex-husband where, again, the stepmom is kind of involved in this whole thing. Now, I, I mean, look, when, when you've got a 27-year-old stepmom, you've got a 13-year-old boy, you would think that, all right, you're going to do everything you possibly can, again, if you're the 27-year-old mom, to avoid, you know, a situation like this. That would just, you know, be what I I would think would be the occasion. But having said that, I mean, do we really want law enforcement involved in something like this? Is this really a matter where there's criminal charges? If the mom feels that something is going on in that household, which, I don't know, makes it a dangerous or a problematic situation where you're raising the three kids, well, then it seems to me that what you end up doing is you call up your lawyer, you go back into court, and you try to fight for custody of the kids if you think that this is something that's going on. But, I mean, I'm really worried when I saw this story about what this means for the future going forward, because where do you draw the line? You have a lot of marriages that end up in divorce. That's just the reality. What the numbers are around, like one out of every two, right? So you have situations where there are going to be step parents that are involved. They're going to be raising young kids. They're going to be raising teenage kids. There's all this dynamic. I mean, do we really want a situation where every time the teenage daughter you know, inadvertently sees the stepfather in some form of undress or something like that, that that's where you're going to call Child Protective Services. Now, I understand that there could be all sorts of different situations, you know, if you've got people that are intentionally endangering the children by exposing themselves to them or something like that. I, and I get it. And I get that it's a tricky type of thing. But absent absent more indication that it's anything other than a one-off sort of thing these two people are in in their own garage and all of a sudden the kids somehow come home or walk through the garage or whatever and happen to see the mother you know in the state of undress i just don't think that's the type of thing that we want the cops showing up for and i also don't think it's the type of thing that you put the stepmother in jail for i i just i just don't i think you have to have you know some I think you have to have just sort of some perspective on, you know, what's going on. Also understanding that when you have one of these divorce situations, there's going to be this whole extra level of, gee, I I can't believe that, you know, uh, my children have to spend half the time with this young woman that this my, uh, you know, that my lousy ex-husband married or or whatever. So that's kind of how I look at this whole thing. They are, as we sit here, proceeding with criminal charges against the stepmom. I just kind of shake my head because it just doesn't strike me as being right.
All right, got a lot of stuff coming up before the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, and Capco Metal Stamping are proud to team up once again for the 2019 Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. I don't know how many years we've been doing this, but it's it's always just one of my favorite events of the year. This holiday season, well, the holiday season's here now. We need your help to make a difference for kids in our community. For information on where to donate, please go to WTMJ.com. It's the Capco and WTMJ Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. To that effect... We are taking my program on the road, not once, not twice, but three times this year, and the first time is tomorrow. So my program, as well as Wisconsin's Afternoon News, is going to be originating from the great town, city of West Bend. Um, actually, my, my old stomping grounds. That's uh, my, my wife had a condo in downtown West Bend for a while, and so we spent quite a bit of time there. Still have a lot of friends in the area. So from noon to 3, I'm going to be out at the Heiser Automotive Dealership that's on Highway 33, just a little bit to the west of downtown there. I'll be there from noon to 3. John McCure is there from 3 until 6. We're going to have all sorts of people there that are going to be loading up the toys. So what we're asking you to do if you can find it in your heart, stop by, stop off, pick up a new toy. And that's the whole idea. When Kids to Kids originated, the idea was we, we want to encourage people to sort of teach your kids the spirit of giving. You know, take them out, let them buy a toy with the understanding that, that toy isn't going to them. The toy is going to be going to some, you know, needy child. So, you know, that it's been an incredible success. Then what happens is all the toys end up getting shipped over to Capco in Grafton. And then Capco has a big final thing where we take all the toys and they end up going and getting passed out to, you know, needy Family. So it's a wonderful thing, but it only works because of your cooperation. So we'd ask you to stop by, give us a new toy. We take dollar, we take donations as well. I mean, we, we do take you know money if you don't have the time to do that, but you still want to participate. We'd love that as well. And like I say, we have multiple opportunities to do this, multiple ways that you can give. But uh, if you want to stop by and say hi to me tomorrow, noon until 6, I'll be there during the noon to 3 area, the Heiser um auto dealership highway 33 in west bend as all part of kids to kids christmas okay i want to just take a couple minutes here and i want to do some follow-ups on a couple stories that we talked about earlier this week or maybe it was the very end of last week we discussed this bill that was passed in the legislature which would require a mandatory minimum five-year prison sentence for someone who, while driving drunk, kills someone. All right. Now, the maximum penalty, I, I think, is it, depending on the circumstances. I think the maximum penalty is forty years. So, you know, judges could give somebody any anything that they want. But there have been instances where you have these judges who just, in my opinion, completely lose their mind and don't impose any sort of significant sentence at all. Meanwhile, you have somebody who's drunk who's killed somebody. This law would require that if you kill somebody through intoxicated use of a motor vehicle, you have to serve at least five years, right? Mandatory minimum penalty. You can get a longer sentence, but it has to be at least five years. That's the price of poker if you end up doing this. Now, this was a bill that was passed unanimously in the state Senate and overwhelmingly in the assembly. When it went to the governor, the governor's initial reaction was to say 
he wasn't sure if he was going to sign it. Now, you have a governor who, of course, very big on criminal justice reform. This was the, one of the governors who, when he was running, you know, pushed, uh, was thinking about, gee, I want to take these promises to reduce the Wisconsin prison population in half by like four years, which is just crazy. Because the truth of the matter is the vast majority of people that are in prison in Wisconsin deserve to be in prison. And I understand you can find the unicorn. You can find somebody who maybe is serving an unrealistic prison sentence. But as I said repeatedly, to get sent to prison in the state of Wisconsin, you got to work at it. You either have to commit crime after crime after crime. Or you have to do a, commit a crime that is just so serious that you got no choice. Judges bend over backwards to avoid a, incarcerating people. So the idea that we're going to release all sorts of people, well, is, is crazy. It also presupposes that you're not going to have new criminals coming in. So because of all that, I know Tony Evers was just down to his marrow reluctant to say, gee, I want to require somebody who kills somebody while driving drunk to serve at least five years. Well, at the end of the day, I don't know if it's his conscience or his political advisors or the likelihood that this would have been overridden had he vetoed it, but Tony Evers has signed the bill, so there will now be a mandatory five-year sentence for people who get drunk and kill people. So credit where credit is due. After publicly suggesting that he was hesitant to do it, he ended up doing the right thing. Secondly, on yesterday's program, we talked about Charles Barkley, you know, a former NBA player who's now sort of this outspoken guy on TNT who says a lot of knucklehead things. Earlier this week, he apparently was in what was described as an off-the-record conversation with a female reporter. She in this off-the-record conversation, started to ask him about how he'd flip-flopped on who he liked for president. And he said, you know, I don't hit women, but if I did, you know, I, I'd make, if I did, I'd, I'd hit you, something to that effect. She then became incredibly offended, said, okay, this, this doesn't count as off-the-record. She tweeted out how, you know, appalled she was. Barkley had said at the time, look, can't you take a joke? Well, this became a huge issue Barkley apologized for this, and I think TNT considers the matter closed. Here's the interesting thing, though, and it goes back to that notion that people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Apparently, people started looking at the reporters' tweets and going back a few years when she was in college, but that was just a few years ago. Apparently, there were a whole series of what you could only describe as racist, anti-Asian tweets that this reporter had sent out. And so, you know, now she's like, well, I think it's unfair that people are going back into my past. It, it doesn't change that Barkley shouldn't have said what he said. It does, though, raise the issue again of, you know, some of these people who get offended by some of these things who, you know, don't stay, see stuff as a joke at all. Well, okay, maybe they should look back at their past and before publicizing stupid things that people like Charles Barkley say, maybe they should look at clearing up their own record as well. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. You know, interesting news out of Israel. Um, Long-standing... Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was charged with various felony counts in a criminal indictment today. Now, this is no surprise because there's been an ongoing investigation of Netanyahu, and he describes this as a as a witch hunt. 
Um, the the prosecutor has held off issuing charges because there's been multiple elections. The Israeli politics are a complete and total mess. I have several friends who are prominent in the Milwaukee Jewish community, and one of the things that we will talk about when we go out to dinner is I'll say, explain this to me. You know, what what's going on? Where are you with Netanyahu? And, and to kind of summarize the general feeling, I, I think a lot of the people I know aren't thrilled with Netanyahu. They think he's been there too long. On the other hand, the alternatives, they just kind of shake their head and say the alternatives are just way out to what would be the left in, in America. It's so far out that they don't think they're a good choice, and everybody throws up their hands and says it's a mess. In in Israel, like in, say, Britain, you don't elect a, a president. What happens is you elect parties. You know, you have indiv- like, kind of like the equivalent would be congressmen you elect delegate you elect representatives and what they then do is they choose somebody to be the prime minister so what happens is if your party doesn't get enough seats to be the majority party what happens is you have to build a coalition government you have to reach out to other parties and in in many places in the world it's not a two-party system like we have here but there might be five or six or seven parties like there might be there's a couple major parties but then there's splinter parties who pick up a couple seats here or there well in the they've now had two elections over the course of the last few months and Netanyahu's party has not been able to secure a majority of the seats, but neither, no, nor has any other party. And so they've tried to put together coalition parties where you say, okay, I, w- I want the support from, okay, you, you've got, you've got four seats. I, I want you to support me. Well, they haven't been able to cut a deal because there's all sorts of, there, there's issues that, that have to do with some, um, people who are extremely conservative on religious lines but it, but just it's a stone cold mess and it's been a mess for a while that they, they haven't been able to put together you know one person hasn't been able to put together a coalition government you've got these indictments i don't know if that changes the dynamic he is under no obligation to step down because he's still in a semi governing fashion with some of the other candidates but it it really it's a mess. It's just an absolute mess. So if you think American politics are a mess, well, Israeli politics aren't much better. And the politics in Great Britain, they're not much better because they're right now in an election process. What happens is you have the prime minister, Boris Johnson, who calls an election. There's a six-week campaign. And, of course, you know, Great Britain is all torn. The United Kingdom is torn up over the whole issue of Brexit. Nobody knows how that's going to turn out. So, you know, I firmly believe in democracy greatest system around, but sometimes it's messy. And you're seeing that in Great Britain, you're seeing it in Israel, and you're certainly seeing it in the United States. All right. Some people might hail this as good news. Some people might say it's about time. About 23 years ago, I remember this because I was starting my radio career, you know, during this kind of ongoing debate, we had, we had this idea. And that is that the Milwaukee Brewers were going to leave Milwaukee unless they got a new stadium. And as somebody who kind of got a chance the last couple of years working here at WTMJ to get into the inner workings of County Stadium, let, let me tell you, County Stadium had, had, had passed its useful life. No question, we, we needed a stadium. The question became, how should that stadium be paid for? And so after a much late-night 
arguing and vote switching and people losing elections subsequently and recalls, we settled on a way to pay for Miller Park. And that was with this 0.01% sales tax that would be implemented in a five-county region. Milwaukee County, Waukesha County, Washington County, Racine County, and um, Ozaki County, right? Five-county sales tax region. A lot of people never got over that. And this was a particular issue in Racine where folks in Racine said, well, why, why, in, why include us? Why, we you know, we don't get any direct benefits from this. What you should do, I mean, if you're going to include us, you should include, I don't know, some Sheboygan County, include Dodge County, include Jefferson County, include Walworth County. That makes as much sense as including us. And I, I think what ended up happening is the, the conclusion was politically, if we include all those other counties, we're not going to get the votes. So they included Racine. Ultimately, they got the votes. For 23 years, you have had this stadium tax. The stadium tax has, over those 23 years, uh, generated about $600 million, you know, give or take. Some years it generates more. Some years it generates less. All kind of depends on the economy and things like that. They estimate on average, on average, the stadium sales tax costs somebody who lives in the five-county region has cost them about $11 a year. That, that's, that's the estimate. Some people undoubtedly more, some people less, but the average is, is $11 per person. It has generated, like I say, $600 million. That includes money that's been used for improvements to the stadium, the underlying cost of the stadium, and then also interest on, on the cost. What's happened yesterday is that Governor Evers signed a bill that had been passed by both the Assembly and the Senate which effectively requires the stadium tax to end by August 31st of next year. Now, the stadium board says, look, we, we, we plan to, to end the tax sooner. We think we're going to be able to end the tax by, by, like, March. But the law now requires it to end in September, uh, in August. So no ifs, no ands, no buts. The, the tax is going to be going away. Under the lease, there's money that's been set aside because the stadium board for the first 30 years of the lease is required to contribute $1.75 million a year for um, maintenance of major repairs and improvements to the stadium. The brewers have to put in three quarters of a million every year to that. So you've got that that's going on. But the tax portion itself will underline will end sometime next year, whether it's in spring or, you know, at the end of August, it is going to go away. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now we've seen what's happened over the course of the last 23 years. If you've lived in that area, that five-county region like I do, you've contributed the money to it. Let me ask you this. Was it worth it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The value of the Brewers franchise has skyrocketed, largely, or at least I think in good portion, due to the fact that you've got Miller Park 
that that's clearly there. So the Brewers are worth a ton more now than when Mark Atanasio first bought them. No question about it. Miller Park has allowed the ownership of the Brewers to make a lot of money. That's number one. Number two, though, we've had a major league franchise that I think clearly would have left Milwaukee had they not had the new stadium. That's so you've still got Major League Baseball in Milwaukee and and you've had a lot of economic development in the area. You've had I mean, look, there's no question Brewers baseball generates a lot of revenue for surrounding areas, for the bars, for the restaurants, for the shops. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. It's been, God, I can't believe it's been 23 years since we had those debates. Was it worth it? 414-799-1620. And like I say, on average, if you live in the five-county region, on average, it costs you about 11 bucks a year. You know, maybe you could get away with it only being eight. Maybe your share ended up being about 20 bucks. All right. Was it worth it? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I still, figuratively speaking, have the scars from that whole Miller Park battle. It doesn't seem like it was twenty three years ago, but it was. News today is that the stadium tax, that point zero one percent sales tax for the five county region is going to be retired. Now, the stadium board has said for a while that they think it's going to end in like August, in, in March or April, but by law, it now has to, has to end by August 31st of next year. It's going away. The question becomes, was it worth it in the long run? Dennis and Rippin. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Dennis. Thank, uh, hi, there. Hi, uh, Dennis. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, there is... Many examples of why they should not do that. Um, if you look at Lambeau Field, Lambeau Field, the stadium tax worked great up there. They paid the thing off early. They should have kept it in line. Now the city of Ashwaubenon and Green Bay and stuff like that, they've got money, fun, money troubles trying to find money to fund infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They could use that. I don't know what, how the charter is written with the brewers on the stadium down there, but there's always going to be some type of infrastructure necessary to support that stadium. So you would be in favor of the way the law works is that this tax has to be dedicated for Miller Park, but you would be in favor of say, okay, even if this one has to end, we could just take that money and roll it over into a new tax to use for other things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in my county up here, it's Farland County. We had a, thing here several years ago where Mercury Marine was going to leave, so right. we had to come up with, cough up some money. We put a sales tax on. Now Mercury Marine, is all, that business is all taken care of. Now the county is taking that money and spending it on infrastructure throughout the county for all the municipalities in the county. And it's one of the best things, and we've got people that still cry and curse and everything else about it. And Okay, got it. Okay, no, thanks for calling. I get it. All right, 414-799-1620. And, and actually, Dennis kind of takes me in the direction where I wanted to go with this. All right, the, the way the law works is the tax has to be used for Miller Park. You can't just simply say, all right, we're going to continue to collect the tax, and then we're going to use it for things for Milwaukee County, or we're going to use it for infrastructure or whatever. You can't do it. It's, it funds the stadium district board. What you could do and what some people think should be done is, all right, people don't even miss it. 
You know, it's like the, the, the frog in the pot. You put the frog into the boiling water, the frog's going to jump out. You put the frog into lukewarm water and gradually turn up the heat, and then you got frog soup after a while, and the frog never understands what's going on. Well, okay, there's some people who think that uh, taxpayers are kind of like that frog. Once you get used to that, it's only 11 bucks a year, Jeff. Maybe it's 15 bucks a year. Well, heck, I spend more than that on two beers at Fiserv Forum. You know what? Let's keep it going. Well, okay, you, you, like I say, you couldn't keep the Miller Park tax going per se. You could roll it over. 414-799-1620. I don't – look, I, I understand the argument that – and a number of people are making a text to me – that it's wrong for taxpayers – to underwrite sports franchises. And look, and there's no question, the value of the Milwaukee Brewers has gone through the roof over the course of the last 23 years. You know, when it comes time for this ownership group to sell it, they're going to sell the team for a lot more than they purchased it for. And the value of the team has gone up in part because you have this stadium, this wonderful facility that was provided, you know, in a good portion, in good part, by the, the taxpayers. Having said that, though, I don't think that that means that we, we suddenly say that, okay, you know, M- Miller Park was a bad deal. I don't think there's any way at all you can look at the decisions that were made, you know, 20-some years ago and say that the community would be a better place today if we had allowed Major League Baseball to leave, if we didn't have Miller Park, if we didn't have the Brewers, if we didn't have all the concerts that they run. And, yeah, and, and I understand philosophically that what you have is the taxpayers have provided this wonderful venue that has served to increase the value of the brewers and make a bunch of money for brewers ownership but that's okay because i think it's also served to number one contribute greatly to the quality of life around here and and number two you know make a lot of money for again this area now, I appreciate the argument that, you know, maybe it didn't intellectually make sense to include Racine and not include, like I was saying earlier, not include, um, you know, Jefferson County or Sheboygan County. I, I understand that argument, but that was a political decision. How many counties could they include and still get the votes they needed? Bottom line of all this is, I, I mean, I believe Miller Park was a good deal. I, I think it was good for the community. I'm glad it's here. I'm glad you know, that we participated in this fashion. And, and candidly, whether it's been 11 bucks or 15 bucks or 20 bucks for people who live in the five-county region, and I do, I think that that's been a reasonable contribution to something that made a big difference in the overall quality of life around here. Do I think it's time for the tax to go? Yes, I do. Do I think you know, you should automatically replace it with another tax. Well, that's going to have to be on a county-by-county county basis. I mean, that the, the truth of the matter is there's no way in the world that I think people in Ozaki County or in Waukesha County should be paying a tax that's going to go to largely support the domes or the zoo or things that are in Milwaukee County. I mean, I think Miller Park was a regional cause that you could make an argument that everybody should come together on. Um, again, the zoo, love the zoo. I love the domes. Those, to me, don't have that regional appeal. If the voters of Milwaukee County, like I say, want to increase their sales tax, that's a whole different story. But this five-county tax, it had its place. Glad it was there. Glad it worked. Glad we have Miller Park. It's time for it to go. 
Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. One of the texters on our last discussion of Miller Park had a very interesting question. Drew, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you know who owns Miller Park? Uh, Milwaukee. Well, okay. What, what, what do you mean? Like the city of Milwaukee, Milwaukee County? Yeah, the city. No, no, no. Eh, eh, not even, no. No, the Miller Park, um, Miller Park is actually, it's it's interesting. It's owned by both the Brewers and the Miller Park Stadium District, which represents the taxpayers who live in that five-county region, Ozaki, Waukesha, Washington, Milwaukee, and Racine counties. Uh, the, the deal that was put into place when Miller Park was built is that there would be this shared ownership type of thing based on the ongoing capital contributions to the stadium by either the Brewers or the Stadium District. So when the stadium opened in March of 2001, the district, which would be the the, the five county, the taxpayers of the five county, owned about 71% of the stadium, and the Brewers owned about 29%. Uh, I, the most recent numbers I have are from about five years ago, 2014. The They recalculated based on money you put in, and as of like five years ago, the stadium district, the taxpayers owned about 68.5% of the stadium, and the Brewers owned 31.5%. The deal is, what, what ends up happening is, there is a lease that expires in 2030, and the Brewers have options to extend the lease for, um, they have five two-year options once it expires. So if they wanted, they could stay there till 2040 with the options. When the lease expires, the remaining value of the stadium will be split between the two parties. Now, what exactly, that's the story I'm looking at. What that means and how you to do it, I, I, I'm a little bit unclear. Does somebody have to buy out the other side? I, I don't exactly know that. But to answer the question, you know, who owns Miller Park? Brewers own a portion of Miller Park. The stadium district owns a larger portion of Miller Park. But both of them, both of them own it. And, of course, next year it's not going to be Miller Park anymore because the Miller Park sponsorship, the Miller Brewing sponsorship, goes away and you've got American Family Insurance that's coming in. All right. I admit I found this surprising. And... I know that there are a lot of people out there that distrust polls. And because, let, let's face it, I mean, polls have been wrong a lot lately. In the 2018 election, the polls were, were back to normal and pretty much, I think, got stuff right. But in 2016, almost all the polls badly, badly miscalculated the election of Donald Trump. And, and that's why Trump's support always tends to do better than his polling. Right. Which doesn't mean when you have a president who's substantially underwater. It, OK, if if the poll comes out and says 39 percent of the people approve of the job he's doing. All right. Even if that's under reporting his approval by four or five points, that still only gets him to 43 or 44 percent. But I understand people are extremely skeptical of the polls. I get that a lot when we talk about them. Nevertheless, the Marquette University Law School poll while they've had a number of notable swings and misses over the course of the last six or eight years, generally speaking, I, I think they have a, a good track record. And to the extent they had a bad 2016, I, I think they, you know, they, they kind of redeemed themselves in 2018. So yesterday they come out with a poll. Conventional wisdom, 
conventional wisdom is that Donald Trump is toast. He's toast nationally. He's toast in these key states that he needs to pick up, like Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. He's just he's just toast. The conventional wisdom is the majority of people are sick of the Trump administration, and they believe that Donald Trump is venal and corrupt and should be not only impeached but removed from office before the November elections. That That is the conventional wisdom. It is the media narrative that's out there, that, that Trump is in a lot of trouble. And that's certainly, I think, the way it's trying to be portrayed in Wisconsin. So yesterday, this Marquette University Law School poll drops, and it, it's got stunning stunning numbers. What it shows is that the number of people who believe that President Trump should be impeached and removed from office had had dropped um, to around, you know, um, 40 percent. The number of people who believe that he shouldn't be impeached and removed from office was now at 53 percent. A staggering turnaround, but more than half of the people saying we're not on that impeachment bandwagon. In addition, when they did the head-to-head matchups of Trump versus all the leading Democrat candidates, candidates, what you saw is Trump was now either tied or leading all of them, a complete and total about-face from the polls over the last couple months. Now, there's a couple things that could be going on here. Number one, this could just be a, a a bad poll, an outlier, where you get bizarre results. They ended up getting a disproportionate number of, of Trump voters or Trump supporters or whatever. So you could argue this is just – it's an aberration. You could argue, hey, these numbers, even if they're true, they don't take into account the events of the last week. You've got this impeachment hearings going on. They're nationally televised. People are watching, you know, one person after another talk about President Trump and and once the impact of the hearings this week sinks in, these numbers are going to change drastically. Or there could be the other alternative, which could be that, I, I don't know, maybe people aren't impressed with the Democrat field of candidates right now. And maybe they they do. They're starting to have a reaction of kind of a boomerang effect to this impeachment thing. They're turning off of it and they're turning to President Trump. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you believe these poll results? Are people turning away from impeachment and turning back to President Trump? Is that what's really going on? Or, I don't know, is this maybe just like I say, it's a bad poll. Can't trust polls. This one, most of the polls work against Trump. This one just happens to be a bad poll that works in Trump's favor. All right, what do you think? Are people... Is there starting to become a backlash to all this impeachment stuff, which is driving people to support the president? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this, I think there might be something to it. I, I don't know that I really think that the, the movement has been as dramatic as these numbers show. But I do think there is impeachment fatigue out there. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of tired of this entire thing. And just like the Walker recall, where I think a lot of people who maybe didn't like Act 10 didn't like the, okay, we're going to remove him before the election, I think I think there is an impeachment backlash. And I think while it might not be as dramatic as these poll numbers suggest, I think you're seeing it. 
And I think you're going to see it in other poll numbers that come out in other states over the course of the next few weeks. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I don't know if the the numbers in the yesterday's Marquette University Law School poll really are are accurate. I, I mean, I, I don't know if, if now you've had this dramatic swing to the point that fifty three percent of the population in the state really does oppose impeachment and removal. Candidly, my, my sense would have been I thought it was be closer to fifty fifty. That being said. I don't think there is any doubt at all that you do have the the sense of impeachment fatigue, for want of a better phrase, that's out there. I think a lot of people, they're they're just kind of, they're sort of turned off by all this. And believe me, I understand there's a certain percentage of population that's just absolutely riveted in these hearings and can't get enough of it. At the same time, I think there's a lot of other people who pretty much decided, you know, that that President Trump, for example, is, is President Trump. And he's kind of got his own style, which is off-putting in some and it's chaotic in others and this is just the way he is and it's not corrupt it's not bribery it's unconventional and it's arguably inappropriate but nevertheless it's not something that warrants removal and i think you're starting to see a backlash as people look at this and say hey look that this this wasn't Nixon and the Watergate cover-up trying to come up with a million dollars to pay, you know, the Watergate burglars. This this isn't that. This is a variation of foreign policy, and it's the president's style. And, and yeah, we don't necessarily like that style, but this isn't what we talk about as being an impeachable offense, and we're tired of this. And I, I think you are starting to see some of that. And that's the danger that I think that the Democrats ran when they decided to go down this route in that, you know, you're going to have a lot of people who just say, okay, Trump is what Trump is, who what Trump is, is who Trump is. It's not going to change. We had two and a half years of Mueller and Russia, and now this is the latest bright, shiny object that people are trying to do. And, and we're tired of it. And I think it is possible there's a backlash. Is it as much in the polls? I'm not sure about that. I'd want to see this consistently over the next couple months. But if these sort of numbers hold, if they hold, and I'm not saying they will, it's going to be, I, I think, very, very good news for the president. Here's some text. Jeff, I believe the polls, and I can honestly say I would answer yes to a poll that I will vote for President Trump next year. However, um, if I show any support on my social media sites, I'm immediately attacked by Democratic people, so I am quiet and I will remain quiet. Yeah, see, that that is the thing. If you come out and you support Trump, you just are roundly just roasted on on the internet the people who hate him are very very vocal they are out there in large numbers at least large numbers on on the internet um let's see jeff voters don't like elected officials ignoring or usurping their will for political gain and many of them feel that that's what trump's team has faced yeah i i I do think that there is an element of that jeff yes people are sick 
of it. Do you know the breakdown of Democrats, Republicans that they use for this? No, I do not off the top of my head. Um, let's see. Jeff, I'm not sure who said it, but I believe it's the economy, stupid. Well, that I don't know if he's the first one to say it, but that was the Bill Clinton motto. It's the economy, stupid. I'm not a fan of any of the antics of either side. Um, like my dad said, I think all politicians are crooked, <laughs> but I'd rather take a known entity such as Trump over a loose cannon like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. Um, and, and that's why I say repeatedly when people ask me to handicap the election, my my response is at this point in time, I don't know. I think in many respects it depends who the Democrats end up nominating. If you nominate a center-left Democrat who isn't going to blow up the underpinnings of this country, ranging from health care to the economy, et cetera, et cetera, then the election becomes about President Trump and the, we'll use the term antics that the emailer did. On the other hand, if it's a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, people who really do want to take your insurance away from you and replace it with something else and who, you know, want to raise massive tax raises and things like that, well, then the election doesn't become about Trump. It becomes about, do you want to see the sea change in America? I think that's, candidly, if I were a Democrat, I'd I'd much rather be running on, again, a reasonable alternative to the president, a center leftist, as opposed to somebody way, way out there on the wacky left. But I don't know how that decision is going to play out. Phil in Juneau. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, I'm really an independent, and my concern is I think the entire uh, effort, what's going on now, is really a deflection. I think there's so many good issues that the Democrats could talk about that would be worthy of the population thinking about what their program is. But I just really believe this is about a deflection. They want to uh, uh, take, take a stance that downplays any accomplishments that Trump has, and they want to have the subject be anything other than what his accomplishments are. Now, I'm not a big Trump fan, but I am a person who likes accomplishments. And I have a feeling that at this point in time, Trump is attempting to do some things that are positive, but I don't like his style. But I would rather see the Democrats come up with a program to improve the country and not spending all their political capital on this. And I really do think they're going to drop this issue because they know it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. So the media is feeding this thing. And I think the entire thing is a deflection. That's just my opinion. Well, I know. I think you're, I mean, Phil, I think to an extent you were on to something. I think that's that's certainly an explanation for the poll numbers that are out there. I, I know... I know that a lot of the Democrat candidates for president have to be kind of exasperated because nobody's talking about them anymore. I mean, the, the only thing people are talking about is this whole Ukraine thing. And and candidly, I mean, I do think one of the things that's emerging from this is that you have you have a government, you have a group of government employees, you know, people that worked in the State Department, et cetera, that, that don't like President Trump. They didn't agree with President Trump's policies. And by the way, there, there's I understand why people would not like him. I understand why people would disagree with his policies. But one of the things that's coming, through, for example, I mean, I think we should be doing whatever we can to help Ukraine fight Russia. I think Russia is the bad guy. I think, you know, Russia... 
we we need to be staring down Russia, not trying to do things that empower them. And I think there's decisions that President Trump has made, whether it's um, you know the deal with Turkey and the Kurds that has empowered Russia. I, I think you know by delaying aid to the Ukraine for whatever reason. I think we empowered Russia. I think we're on the wrong side of that one. Okay, but but that being said, that. I, I've been watching these various people in the State Department, you know, testify, and it, it's just clear to me that, like the New York Times, they loathe Donald Trump, and like it or not, you know, he won the election, so he gets to set the policy, not the people, you know, not the career diplomats. They can give their advice, but it, it's just like, you know, if, if you know, if if you're the boss, and you decide on a policy. All right. You know, it's what happens is you expect the people who work for you to to follow that policy. And if they don't, sooner or later, they're going to be gone. And I think, you know, that's what's kind of playing out. And I'm not arguing that Trump was I'm not arguing that these were some of the best policy decisions. Like I say, I think I think Barack Obama was slow in coming to aid of Ukraine. And I, I think President Trump for whatever reasons, and I think some of them might have been misguided, was slow of coming to the aid of, of Ukraine. I disagree with him on those things, but that doesn't mean these things are impeachable offenses, etc. And in this particular case, since Ukraine got the aid, since there was never an investigation of Hunter Biden, I think it's going to be tough to convince the American people that he did something, while perhaps unwise, that was worth removing him from office. You know, that's why Nancy Pelosi is ratcheting up the rhetoric. That's why you hear the term bribery being thrown around now. They don't say quid pro quo. They say bribery because I'm sure they focus group tested this and people react more to bribery than they do to quid pro quo or or whatever. But it's a dangerous game they're playing. At the end of the day, I continue to believe that the president does not get impeached. And don't be surprised, just like Bill Clinton came out of the impeachment process that the Republicans started against him in the mid-90s, he came out of that a lot stronger than he was going in because the American people just weren't on the side of the Republicans. Yes, they thought having an affair with an intern was wrong. Yes, they thought lying about that under oath was not only a crime, but it was wrong. But they didn't think it rose to the level of something that the president should be removed from office for. And candidly, I think in many respects, this is a lot more nebulous. It's a lot more difficult to explain. And at the end of the day, I I continue to believe he's going to be impeached in the House. He's not going to be convicted in the Senate. It's going to be March. It's going to be April. We're going to be in the same spot we are now. Ultimately, it's the American people that render their verdict on Donald Trump, and that verdict gets rendered next November. All the rest of it is just kind of us chasing bright, shiny objects. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Melissa, this is how your life changes. Five years ago, I would finish the program, 3 o'clock. I might stop off for some fast food on the way home, go home, Go upstairs, kind of put my chunky butt on the couch, turn on the TV, (laughs) gobble down the fast food, maybe have a couple of beers along the way and kind of like fall asleep. Mm -hmm. That that would be five years ago. Okay, so tonight, leave the show, go home. um, We're having an early dinner. I'm not sure exactly what my wife is making, but it's going to be something 
admittedly healthy with not a lot of carbs in it. I'm going to play with the dog. Hopefully delicious, too. Oh, it's always delicious. Okay, good. It, it, it's always it's always delicious. There's <laughs> yeah. just not enough of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, people say, oh, have you lost all the weight? And I say, well, Fran just doesn't feed me. I Actually, she hooked me up. I, I'm, I'm, oh, going no. to this, I'm going to this personal yeah. trainer. I, I've had my first meeting with him today, and we're going to do it. So if I if I come in like, Gru, you should know, if I come in like hobbled over next Tuesday, it's it's because that that's when we're starting. We're we're going to we're going to do it Tuesday mornings, like at seven thirty. And this is the the guy works with people who play golf, and so we're we're going to be doing weights and flexibility and things like that. You're going to so, transform into a brand new Jeff. I don't know. Well, I I still kind of like the old <laughs> one, but we'll 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 see. But anyhow, yeah. so okay, so tonight's tonight it's it, it's not. I don't get to sit in the living room. I'm going to go home. I'm going to play with the dog for mm-hmm. a little bit, but then. I'm going to a concert, but not just any concert, okay? Fran's granddaughter, my granddaughter, who's in fifth grade, she's she's playing a trombone concert. Oh, interesting. Right, so she's playing an instrument. So I don't know if it's all trombone. She plays the trombone, but this is going to be like a fifth grade musical concert so we're gonna like so you're not pile- sure what you're gonna get well i have a feeling i i, I, I have a, I have a right. feeling i do know what i'm going to get I, i've been to these things before but it, but it's okay but it, it, it is it is cute it's it kind is. of fun you see all the kids and they're dressed up on the stage and they go do this but it's um i'm like gee i i didn't know Addie played the trombone and I, I, I'm maybe that's sure. a good thing well it is well <laughs> these kids will do that but so i like so this evening i'm going to be at a fifth grade trombone concert Aww. so it's just amazing how tight, but it is cute. They are they are kind of cute. They are cute, that. yeah. And the best, and they thing, put a lot of work into it. They do. And the thing that I found from going to a number of these like concerts over the last couple of years is the grade school concerts. They're short, so I mean it, it'll be like a half hour. You know, it's, so it's not like you know. So I'll still have time to come back home, put my chunky butt on the couch, play with the dog, and fall asleep there watching TV. So I'm still there. But I so there's I, the old you that can kind of live on a little bit, right? Exactly, and right. the new you, right? Because you know, at the end of the day. You know, as I described, as my doctor said for a while ago, asking about my exercise habits, he said, so, Jeff is a slug. And I said, well, I wouldn't quite put it that way, but I do have not slug anymore. tendencies. No, not anymore. Not anymore. That's great. <laughs> no. So that's it. So that, that's it. So I'm going to a concert tonight. I'm going to go watch okay. your fifth graders play trombones well, and I'll stuff like that. Well, I'll watch for a video maybe on your Twitter page or something. Could be. Oh, Absolutely. See? Could be. All right. Speaking of that, so after the fifth grade concert tonight, both myself and Melissa and John Mercure Tomorrow, we are taking our respective shows on the road. It's our first remote broadcast in connection with the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. We are going to be in West Bend. We're going to be at the Heiser Automobile Dealership on Highway 33, just to the west of downtown, kind of my old stomping grounds. I'll be there for my show, noon to 3. John and Melissa will be there for their show, 3 till 6. This is Kids to Kids Christmas. I think everybody knows the drill by now. We encourage you, go out, pick up a new toy, drop it off. We're going to have lots of Santa's elves that are going to be out there that are going to help collect the toys. And what we do is we collect them all, and then we take them over to Capco, our partner, and ultimately they end up getting distributed to needy children. And if you've seen the looks on the kids' faces when they look at these great toys, you'll you'll understand how special it is. By the way, you know, while we encourage you to go out and get new toys and drop them off, um, we also take we take donations, and then what we do is we go and we use the money we it's the royal we to to buy to buy toys. So if you're in a situation where you don't have time, you're in the area, but you don't have time to go out and get the toys, we'll we'll take we'll take checks as well. That works just fine. Okay, Gru, have you ever been to uh, Disney World? You ever been to Disney World? Uh, a couple times, yeah. A couple times. Okay, been, how about Orlando, uh, Universal Orlando Studios? You ever been there? A couple times as well. A couple times. Okay, yeah, I, I, you know, typically 
my brother loves Disney, and so we'll go down to Disney with the kids. Matter of fact, we just planned another trip for June down down to Disney. Now, I um. I, I, I didn't get the roller coaster gene in our family, so if you don't go on roller coasters, that kind of limits you. But but nonetheless, have fun. What we always do is we take at least a day and we go over to Universal Studios. And Universal Studios has the, the two theme parks. They've got the Harry Potter Park now. Um, they've got like a, a, a walk. There's, there's a Margaritaville that we always have lunch at and things like that. So I, I, I like the Disney experience. I would say the Universal experience is is more kind of adult driven but it's just to a matter of degree anyhow here is the story guy is trying to get into universal orlando the other day um he is a retired police officer from a community in in florida ormond park guys 22 year veteran of the police department he retired about 10 years ago he's going through security at at Universal Orlando. And what they do is they have metal detectors. It's just like if you're going to a Brewers game or you're going to, you know, Fiserv Forum or something, you got to take your keys out of your pocket. You got to take your cell phone out of your pocket. You know, you put them in a little bucket. You walk through the metal detector. Okay, so the guy does that. As he's going through, he gets jacked up. The security official says, you can't go in. He says, what do you mean I can't go in? The man is wearing a shirt. The shirt... On the front, and I'm looking at it now, says retired police officer, and, and it's got a badge on it. So it says retired, then there's the badge, police officer. But big letters, retired police officer. On the back of the shirt, it says, let's see, my time in uniform is over, but my watch never ends. Okay, so that, that's that's the shirt that the guy's wearing. All right, Universal Security jack him up, and they say you can't go in. And he says, "What do you mean I can't go in?" And they say, "Well, here's the problem. You know, official guests, people who are in there, might confuse you with an actual police officer." And so, you know, in case there's something going on, we want our guests and team members to be able to easily identify active working law enforcement. And so we don't, you, permit people to wear clothing or items that might cause confusion. So the the front of the shirt, again, just in letters, retired police officer. The back of it says, my time in uniform is over, but my watch never ends. They wouldn't let him in. They told him, you know, only way you can come in is if you change your shirt. He said, well, I don't have another shirt to change to. Apparently, other people that were there offered him shirts that they had. But then the security people said, well, okay, that's not good enough because you can't carry this shirt around because there may be confusion. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This policy, I would say, if it really is the policy at Universal, it is so dumb that if it were any dumber, it would bark. But that is an insult to my little dog, Sasha, who is smarter than whoever thought up this policy. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my guess is that there might be people out there listening right now. Maybe you're a retired police officer, and, and maybe you maybe you have a shirt 
that says, I mean, over the years, I've been given shirts that say Milwaukee County Sheriff's. I used to buy sweatshirts when I was um, in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I was out. I used to go teach at the FBI Academy in Quantico, and I'd buy shirts that they had in their gift shop that say DEA or FBI on them. I've never, ever, ever had somebody say, gee, you can't come in here because, you know, you've got this shirt on that somebody might interpret as being an active law enforcement officer, especially if the shirt says retired police officer. All right, 414-799-1620. Does this policy make sense to you? doesn't to me. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, when I thought about this story, I really did think about these sweatshirts that I, I, I used to have. I don't have them anymore. But when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office a number of years ago, like I said, we used to go, we used to teach new FBI classes at Quantico on trial practice and trial tactics and stuff. And you'd stay at Quantico, which is where the FBI Training Academy is. And you'd go into, they had a, they had a big gift shop that was there. And they had, they had sweatshirts and they had regular shirts that said DEA on them with the Justice Department seal or FBI. And, and I remember I bought some and I used to, I used to wear them around. Not sure why I did it, but I, I mean, you did. And I, I can't imagine being told, oh, you, you can't come into this bar or you can't come into this theme park or you can't come into this ball game, you know, wearing a shirt that says FBI on it because people might think that you're really FBI and get confused if something breaks out. Um, I mean, seriously? Let's see. Um, oh, here's some text. Jeff, very confusing because we all know active police officers routinely identify themselves as retired. Yeah, that, this, this shirt doesn't even say like FBI. It doesn't even say, you know, Ormond Park Police. It says retired police officer. Jeff, I'm a retired police officer, 37 years on the job. I think it's a definite overreaction. That said, I never wore anything when I'm off duty that would identify me as a police officer. Doing so, I felt, was just asking for trouble, especially in today's society. Well, and that that may be a very valid point. But that's not why they weren't going to let the guy in. They weren't going to let the guy in because they thought, I don't know, other patrons would be too stupid to recognize that a guy walking around with a shirt that says retired police officer on it wasn't an active on-duty law enforcement person. Huh. Um, does make you wonder about the intelligence level of either the people that run you know, Universal Orlando or what they think is the intelligent level of the patrons at Universal Orlando. Jeff, totally the most ridiculous, stupid thing I've ever heard of. What are we turning into? That's from Marsha. Well, we're, we're definitely, you know, dumbing this down. Jeff, first of all, once a police officer, always a police officer. And this is the dumbest policy that I have ever heard of. Yeah, that's, um, I think there's a lot of that that's out there. But again, it's I understand that, for example, businesses, theme parks, etc., you have every right, in my opinion, to impose a dress code that deals with, I mean, issues of propriety. Okay, we don't want you coming in here with shirts on that people, reasonable people are going to find offensive. You know, no no obscenities, no pictures of naked people, things like that. I, I get it, and I support those sort of things. I would support dress codes saying, you know, we've got limits. You know, we, we don't want you coming in... Um, dressed in loincloths or, or whatever. We don't want you exposing yourself for, or essentially coming close to exposing yourself. I get all that. 
But to say to somebody, you can't come in because you're wearing a shirt that says retired police officer because the people on the theme park would be too stupid to not recognize that that doesn't mean you're an active duty police officer and might get confused if shootings break out. Wow. I mean, seriously, how dumb do you have to be to come up with that concept? This is Jeff Wagner.